Welcome to the Story Engine. I'm Tristan Verboven. I wanted to take a moment to thank you for downloading this mini-episode. Followers of the show know that for years I've been telling the story of Rome and Carthage. It has been a long journey for me as the writer and producer. Each episode takes an enormous amount of research and mental process, which is why I only really put out a couple of episodes per year. But to all the fans who have supported the podcast and who have passed it on to others, I am eternally grateful. If you like this show, you should definitely check out another history podcast called Twilight Histories, where I happen to be a contributor. That show is all about alternate history scenarios that play out into the realm of the weird and bizarre. Here at the Story Engine, I try as much as possible to keep to the facts, or at least I try to keep to the story. Everything that happens on the Story Engine pretty much happened in real life. That's the great thing about history. It's always stranger than fiction. But I wanted to reach out to ask listeners to help get the word out. If you enjoy the show, please let us know by joining us on the Story Engine podcast fan page on Facebook and share your favorite episode in a post. In the meantime, we return to Rome. It may be the Dark Ages, but the forever war between Europe and Africa continues nonetheless. So, sit back and enjoy another episode of the Story Engine. It's market day in Rome. One of the few days a month where the city really comes to life. On busy days like this, young brothers Primus and Maris stay extra close to their mother and join in the long procession into the city. As they approach the city gates, Primus, the oldest of the two, tugs gently on his mother's skirt. Can we stop and see the old man, he begs. Please, Mama. He says it in his mother's native language, as he usually does when he wants to be endearing. Speak Latin, she snaps back. We're in Rome. What do we pay a teacher for? Please, Mama, says little Maurus in his best Latin. We're coming up to the gate now. Well, if he's there, we'll stop, she says, conceding. As long as you're on your best behavior... Sure enough, before even getting near the northeast gate, they hear his voice ringing out into the din. Date obolus belisario! Date obolus belisario! The boys break free and race over to him. Salve! Ave et vale! I recognize those voices, says the old man. He's squatting atop an overturned block of marble with worn inscriptions on the side and fallen long ago from the dilapidated city walls. His robes show a dark patch where they've been dangling to the ground. He lifts his face into the sun, his hood barely covering the ghastly bandage in place of his eyes. Hey, your mother's not with you? I am here, Magister. She calls out her approach and slips a coin to Marius, who gently places it in the old man's outstretched hand, clicking the coin below it. Hey, what sound is that? He perks up his head, and taking the coin with his other hand, he rubs the face of the coin and flips it over and rubs the other side. 
An African Seliqua, he mutters to himself. Where did you get such a coin? It was from my husband, smiles the woman, from when he served with you against the vandals. The old man says nothing, stroking the coin with his thumb. And then after a moment, he thrusts the coin towards the boys, holding it in the gleam of the sun. Whose face is on that coin, boy? Do you see? The boys squint their eyes. It's a Emperor Justinian, I would guess, replies Primus. His little brother looks to him and nods too. But this symbol, he says, slowly turning the coin over. This one you do not know. The coin bears a strange mark, like letters pushed together into a single piece. It looks like an M, says the boy, and a, a D and maybe an X. Mastigas, blurts the old man. King of the Moors. He ruled everything beyond our walls. We trusted him to strike coins with our emperor's face. He snatches the coin into his closed fist, startling the boys. So, what stories have I told you then? He asks. Surely I've already told you the tales of Caesar and the Gauls. Well, yes, sir, say the boys. And I've told you of Spartacus and the Great Rebellion. Yes, sir, they say again. And what of Scipio and the Barkas? He asks. Surely I've told you of Rome's great war with Africa. My yes, sir. And of barbarians, he continues. Have I told you of Alaric's mutinous Goths who marched their army on the Eternal City? Or the wretched Vandals who marched on Roman Africa and then Rome itself? Or the terrifying Huns who ravaged Rome east and west? The woman sits down behind her sons. How about one about the Moors, she says softly. Our grandfather was a Moor, says the youngest. People say that's where I get my dark curls. The old man chuckles at this, and then suddenly lifting his ear into the wind, he hears a group of passerby speaking Latin. Date obolus belisario. Date obolus belisario. They keep walking without looking, and the old man sits back on his stone again. Until now, he says abruptly to the boys, I've told you only of Rome's triumphs and victories. He clicks the coins gently in his cupped hand. But there's more to be learned from tragedy than comedy. Ah, what a sight it must have been. Six hundred ships arriving in Libya. The white sails blocked out the horizon as Justinian's army poured out. And they marched towards Carthage. And with every step of soil, each Roman they passed was free. My husband was among the infantrymen. The woman gives a bittersweet smile. And among them, too, was an officer by the name of Stotzas, a common soldier elevated to the honor of bodyguard and master of horse to the general Martinus. And while Martinus did the work of the general, Stotzas saw to his men. And though his rank, he slept and ate among them and came to be much admired and trusted. He turns to the boys. I've told you, have I not, 
of the Vandal Wars. The boys nod. What a sight it must have been then, seeing Justinian's army marching through the gates of Carthage. Africans of every kind welcomed them along the road, offering gifts of food and wine. But the Vandal king, afraid that this precious treasure would be taken, ran away with it into the desert. But they were soon captured and both sent back to the city of Constantine and placed before the emperor. But Justinian was eager for another victory and he sent his army on to conquer the seven hills of Rome. I wish I could tell you that the story of Carthage ends there. <laughs> but no sooner had those ships set sail than the trouble began. The Moors, the tribes beyond the walls, they did not welcome the newcomers. They emerged from the barren horizon on camel and horse, shrouded but for a slit about their eyes. Robes flapping in the wind, sweeping forays. The defending garrison must have thought that their war was over, and they were ready to settle the rich African lands as promised. Neither peace nor payment had come, only the constant terror from desert barbarians who attacked in the night. Until one of the men came to Stotsas with his plea. The men grow restless, he said to him. They were told of lands and plunder as their reward for their victory in Africa. And yet all they see is treasure loaded on ships to Constantine and fearsome raiders, worse even than the Vandals. When shall we have our payment? Where is our peace of Africa? Stotsas, who was loved by his men, took their message to General Solomon, who was the commander of Carthage. How much longer must they wait? Stotsas begged the general. Our leaders have gotten rich, but the soldiers still fight an endless war. Tell them to stand too, Officer Stotsas, replied the general, waving him away. They will be paid when the job is done. But Stotsas was a man of the people, and he would not give this answer to his men. And against orders, he armed his men and took the city of Carthage in protest. The old man stands up dramatically and begins marching on the spot like a soldier. As they marched through the streets of the ancient city, they gathered followers from among the vandals and slaves and took to the fortifications, sending Solomon fleeing to his ship. The soldiers celebrated their victory that night, but they knew that trouble was soon to return. They stood day and night atop the watchtower, gazing to the sea for Solomon's return, perhaps with their pay. The old man stops to turn again to the boys. You don't think it was that easy, do you? Certainly not. For a few days later, the sentry spotted a sail upon the horizon. They expected the sea to fill with them, but instead they saw a single Roman ship come into the harbor. Stotsas heard this news and climbed the fortifications to meet this ship and discussed terms, but as a gangplank descended, so emerged none other than their great leader himself, 
General Belisarius. The old man pushes his chest out, hands on his hips, and takes the stance of their leader. Seeing that he came alone but for his imperial guard, the men all around Stotzas lost their courage and began to run away. But Stotzas called down from the walls. These men are not cowards, he shouted. They are not traitors. They wish to serve their general and their emperor. They only want what is owed. But by the time he had said this, the walls were abandoned and the rebels had fled the city. And Stotzas followed them as they went west to the Moorish lands. The tribes there welcomed them. An enemy of an enemy is a friend. When the Emperor Justinian heard about the rebellion in Africa, he sent his trusted cousin Germanus to bring the men back to his army. Germanus made the long voyage to Carthage. In the meantime, Stutzas prepared his soldiers for battle. Men of all sorts, uniformed Roman infantry, barbarian irregulars, Hunnish horsemen, vandals, moors among them, some with your same curly locks. And when Germanus arrived at the rebel camp with his army, he trotted out to meet them, followed by a team of soldiers carrying a large chest. The old man puts his hand before him as if he were riding a horse and calls out loudly, I come to you from the Emperor Justinian himself. He was saddened by the news of his unhappy soldiers and that the heroes of Africa, liberators of Christians and warriors of Constantine, should want The soldiers then opened the chest that beamed with gold coins. Soldiers, fall into your ranks again. Under the great emperor's command, let us forget that this happened. You shall be paid and pardoned in full. But those who hesitate now shall face those who join. Stutzas watched as one by one. His rebels gave in, until they began to cross in great numbers. And before long, all but the Moors and his loyal followers remained. Even he, for a moment, thought to return. The old man breaks character and turns to the boys. Germanus chased them west into Mauritania, where they found refuge in the kingdom of Mustigas and the Moors a place where Romans and Moors lived alike, and Stotzas could never return to his country. And so he took to living as an African. He wore African dress, learned to live among the Africans. He even taught them the Roman art of war. So admired was he for his courage and humanity that he went on to marry the king's exquisite daughter and lived the life of a splendid African prince. The old man bends his neck suddenly, hearing a group of pilgrims approaching speaking in Latin, and he gets up, throwing his ragged cloak over his shoulder and 
Carlos's hand pitifully. Date obolus Belisario. Date obolus Belisario. One of the pilgrims steps away from the group and plops a coin into the old man's hand as he hobbles back to his stone. There's a long pause and Primus finally speaks up. Did you not say, sir, that this story was a tragedy? It sounds like Stotzas lived a happy life. Do you remember, boy, interrupts the old man, a cursed ring that was once worn by Hannibal. Well, yes, the boy remembers. Passed on from father to son. That ring found its way home. For Mastigas, king of the Moors, and king of the Romans of Mauritania, gave that very ring to Stotzas on his wedding day. He told him that it was the very ring passed down the Barca line, then given by Scipio in sympathy to Hasdrubal, the last surviving Carthaginian. And from there, into the barbarian world, it passed from hand to hand, settling countless debts, no doubt, each time bearing a tall tale of heroism and providence. He pauses for a moment, staring into the wind, though he has no eyes. He told him that one day he would be king, and that someday Africa would belong to its people. <laughs> the old man chuckles. But you can imagine the splendor by which our Stotzas lived, draped in the finest furs and blue linen, rattling in gold, firmly holding the dainty hand of his delicious bride, with a finger bearing the ring of Africa's greatest hero. No sooner did he become king than the world plunged into a great plague. The skies darkened the days, crops failed, and the people became sick. Even the great Emperor Justinian was not spared and came to terrible fevers. But the Moors, living clear of the cities that carried the death, stayed in a sparse desert where the sickness could not survive. And soon, Stotzas fell into the temptation of the ring. Antalas, chief to one of the Moorish tribes, came to him one day and told him how Carthage was falling into ruin and despair, and its defenses were weak, and how Justinian, from his deathbed, offered no relief. It is the moment to strike. They can muster a force barely half our size. And if you are equal to the cause, the empire is in crisis. A war in Rome, a plague in the city of Constantine, and barely a garrison to defend Carthage. Stotzas turned the ring on his finger and, kissing his beloved queen, then set forth with his horsemen, wrapped in a black cloak and scarf flapping in the wind, wielding long spears and curved swords to Carthage to meet a Roman army. <laughs> Not Belisarius's army, mind you, but an army all the same. They rode for days towards the great city 
seeing on their way the ravages of disease, wondering what army Carthage could produce, and on the way more Berber warriors joined in their ranks. At Carthage, John of Sicinolus, the general in charge of defending the impoverished Carthage, wondered the same thing. Taking with him every man strong enough to stand, he met the great Moorish rebel army just west of the city. <laughs> Seeing the vast numbers before him and the state of his own men, he rode out alone and called out to Stotsas in his own language of Greek. Stotsas, not having heard his own tongue in some time, called back to meet him in the battlefield. He turns to the boys. You may remember that Hannibal once did the same with Scipio. They met face to face with their armies at their backs. And John Cicignolas, thin and gaunt in his finest armor and helmet, and Stotsas, his skin darkened by the desert life among the Africans, they stood in the wind. I warn you, said John, that my men are weak with disease. They may die today in battle, but they will kill your men tomorrow in their beds. How do we settle it then, replied Stutzas, for there must be only one winner of this day. I propose a duel, said John. You and I, like Achilles and Hector, two men of valor, a weapon each and no quarter, and our armies be spared. Winner takes Carthage. Stotzas thought for a moment, carefully sizing up the man before him, and then gently began to remove his black shrouds and headdress. And John did the same unlocking the hatches of his breastplate until the men were standing armed only with their swords. The old man now loses his slouch and poses in a warrior's stance, brandishing an imaginary sword. John lunged first, causing Stotzas to lose his balance, but he recovered quickly and laid a blow to John's sword. Then the two men battled for position as their soldiers watching the duel with great sport, slowly approached for a better look. The men fought boldly. Stotzas, the older of the two, surely felt the sluggishness of his life as a prince, and while John, slowed by his sickness, desperately held his ground until Stotzas's sword finally found John's gut. He thrust it forth. The old man stops his theatrics. Holding the moment, he senses a small crowd now forming around him during his performance, and he continues. John fell heavily to the ground without a whimper, calls the old man to his audience, and Stotzas, covered with his enemy's blood, threw his sword to the ground and turned to his soldiers. This day is ours, people of Africa. Nothing stands between us and Carthage now. 
he raised his hand in the air. But before he could say another word, a Roman arrow pierced his chest from behind, and he stumbled to the ground, dead. The old man lowers his arms and turns to the boys who are sitting wide-eyed. And that is the story of Stotzas, he says solemnly. I promised you a tragedy, and there you have one. Poor Stotzas, says the boy. It's just not fair. You should have won that day. The old man's voice suddenly changes. Poor Stotzas, he growls. Poor Stotzas. He pulls back the hood to show his bandaged face. Stotzas was a traitor, and he died one. Do you not forget how he betrayed his own people? How he turned the Empire's army against its own? The old man gets more and more enraged, and the woman puts her arm to protect her boys. The tragedy is with those who stayed loyal! He declares to the crowd. For what did they earn? What did they get for their troubles? A fruitless and costly campaign? For a city in ruins? He points to his bandaged face. This is the reward for loyalty! A beggar! A beggar at the gates of Rome! But a traitor! A traitor marries a Nubian princess and rises to king of the Africans and dies a warrior's death while I... Justinian's greatest warrior, betrayed and blinded, left to die in a strange land. The woman has now gathered her children and is scurrying away. And that is the tragedy, my dear listener. The man now spits as he speaks. A beggar at the gates of Rome, while barbarians sit atop thrones. That is the tragedy. That is the tragedy of the fate of Rome. He turns to the crowd that is now formed in a circle around him. And as if he were an actor on the stage, he takes a bow to a scattered applause. And once again, he hunches over in his rags, extending his frail hand before him. And he approaches them. <laughs> A penny for Belisarius, he begs. Please, sir, a penny for Belisarius. <laughs> <laughs>